welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago. Nice, very nice. So, I really have been appreciating our sermon series, this Becoming series that we've been in, mostly because it has really um, been more, more illustrative than it has been prescriptive. We've looked at, you know, just what it means to become a healed and whole community in Christ. And I think that the more I listen to the sermons, not just at this campus, but do yourself a favor and listen to the the sermons from Eastside Campus as well, what I'm finding is that it's giving us this really lovely window through which we get to see a picture of the kingdom that is breaking in to our lives as we speak. I was enjoying uh, Ben Sands' sermon last week on what it meant to be mature and then I knew that I was going to be doing part two of this, and so I started thinking about some of the other uh, sermons that we've been listening to. Ben, ben Thomas talking about the God of comfort, and Chelsea speaking so eloquently and beautifully about lament and breaking free from this sliding scale of spirituality that Rick has talked about so well, and praying through the Psalms, and We've been really fortunate to be able to not have a bunch of wagging fingers pointed at us, but an actual picture of what it, li- what it looks like to be us. So today, as I said, I'm going to talk about the second part of what it looks like to be mature. Ben spoke more along the lines of what it took to be a mature individual in Christ. And today, I want to talk about what it looks like to be mature in the body. And Paul, the apostle, was so good at it. We're going to have a nice, simple, basic passage to look at today that I think just kind of sums it all up quite beautifully, and we're going to settle in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, I like Ephesians. I don't know about you guys, but I actually like Ephesians because it's it's less... Um, Paul being professor or Paul being teacher and more Paul being poet and painter and he's got these beautiful and lovely metaphors in Ephesians. If you haven't had a chance, really just look at that book and just look at how with these amazing bold strokes, he just shows you this picture of God's love and what it means and why it matters. And Ephesians breaks up pretty neatly into two pieces. It's this is the gospel and this is what you need to do about your life in light of the gospel. Well, there's a hinge that happens right at chapter 4 verses 1 through 16, and it just kind of connects the first three chapters with the last part of the book, and we're going to settle in there today, and it, it, it kind of gives us this picture of, of, it kind of begins with, you know, therefore, this is what we need you to do. We need you to walk worthy of this calling that he describes in chapters 1 through 3, and then he shows you what it looks like in verses 17 through the end of 4 and through the rest of the chapter, uh, through the rest of the book. But home base for us today is going to be Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So let's take a look at that and then dive right in. So Christ himself 
gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work." You know, whenever I think about Imago Day as a congregation, whenever I think about our church, and whenever I pray for our church, I, I always have this same picture. We're together, and we're facing this darkness, and we're holding hands, and we're walking into it. And I, it's like there's a part of me getting really, like, you know, full thinking about it because we're, we're, we're together walking not into this place that we don't know, but just a place that we can't necessarily see. We know the place. We know God is there, and we know he's unsearchable, and we know that it's our future, but we know that he's there, and we're walking into his heart. So when I pray for this congregation, that is what I see. That's the picture. I don't know if you guys, when you're praying, you have this this kind of like a like a painting almost or an image of where you're standing and where other people are standing. But when I pray for our church, we're all on the same side and we're holding hands. And that is what Paul is showing us when he's talking to us about what it means to be a mature body of believers. It's this togetherness and it's this, it's this willingness to walk together into our tomorrow with each other. And I think that when I look at this passage and I look at our church, it is my desire and it is my prayer for us and it is my, I, I just think, man, how amazing would it be if we could be a church like that? And then I look at this passage as I study it to preach a sermon on it and I have to sit in it for a minute. And so let's look at verses 11 and 12 because I think what I want us to see first, it says Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So this is this picture of maturity for Paul. And that maturity happens not just in community, but through community and for community. And so why do I bring this particular verse up? Because what happens when I see this, I don't know if this is the case for any of you, but for me, it gets a little scary and it gets a little heavy. And when I think about the fact that we've called one another into this covenant community and I look at this passage, what I feel and what I hear and what I remember are times in my life when I've been in community, in a church, and it's been hard and it's been manipulative, and I've burned out, and it's been not a great place to be because I feel like I've 
put myself out there, laid myself out. And there is no pain like church pain, right? So you see this and you go, okay, so Christ did this and then he wants to equip his people for service. And the first thing in my brain, I think, when I was at some of my other churches was they just want to use me. You have people asking for volunteers. Well, we just need people to do this, and we want you to do that, and we want you to... And so there's this, this fear that what it means to be in community means that I'm going to get used until I'm used up, until I'm burnt out, until I leave. And I'm treated as though I'm more of a cog in a wheel. And so when I started looking at this passage and thinking about how Paul says this is what it looks like to be a mature body of believers that you're working together and that you're equipping, that we, those of us who are, who are pastors and leaders, that we are equipping the congregation for, for acts of service. I feel your fear because I've been in this place. I've been in that place where it was frightening. And so I think that what happens when you look at this passage and you first see that, it's because I think in the church we have labored under two very um, extreme misconceptions about what church actually is. And so oftentimes we'll see church as a corporation. Leadership will actually see people as a means to an end. We've got to run the machine, right? We gotta make sure the church is going. We gotta make sure the bills are paid and the lights are on and when you walk in here, there's bread on the table and wine in the glasses and we gotta make sure that everything's done. There are people at the doors praying and so we gotta make sure that you do that and so we work at making sure that we get you to make sure the machine runs. You have to give, you have to do that and that's because sometimes in our brain we see church as a corporation. And as humans, we've often encouraged that perception of the church, haven't we? We see that and we, and we think about, oh, there's this place. Well, somebody, well it's got to run somehow, so it's got to run on volunteer power. And you'll hear people talk about that. And, you know, we want to get together and we want to do this and we want to do that. And then there's this other perception of church as classroom. And then we become a means to an end for you. People come in. And they listen to the sermon and then they go home and then they come back next Sunday and listen to another sermon and they might even talk about it at home community group and then they go home and then they come back and they listen. But what happens is this place becomes a means to an end for you. And most of what you know about the gospel and about Christ you learn from here. And that's it. And this is not what Paul is talking about in this passage. What he's talking about in terms of maturity is he's talking about a group of people, a congregation of people, a body of believers who see church as a community of people. And that's different. When you look at this passage again, let's look at the whole passage again. When you, let's look at the next set. So he says, when he says he's given some to be pastors and teachers, etc., to equip people for the works of service, he says, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Most of you who know me have heard me say we're not just here to finish this work. This work is here to finish us. And so when we ask that you serve, and when we encourage service, it, sh it should be that we are encouraging you to simply become more of who you're called to be. John Ortberg calls it, you become you ear. And so the work is here to finish us as a congregation of people. That's the goal. The goal is not just to get stuff done so that the machine continues to run. But who are you? Who has God made you? How can I water you? And you become watered through acts of service, through caring for one another. And your job is not to take care of me. My job is as a gift to you. And so when we look at church as corporation, I see you as a gift to me. And that's often a way that you can tell when you're being manipulated in a church because you will find that you'll have leadership who are telling you who to be and what to do to the end that the machine can run. As opposed to, as Paul says, planting and watering and trusting God to give increase, not just in a whole congregation, but in each individual life. There is increase as we pour, as we plant, as we water, because we are a gift to you. And you are a gift to one another. And you're a servant to one another and to this body as a whole. And so we work together. And it's not church as corporation. And it's not just church as classroom. Because it says that we're coming into a unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Not a unity in the faith and in a knowledge of what's in the Bible, but a unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. So it's not just that I am teaching up here from this pulpit, like what's there in this Bible. It is for the purpose of equipping you so that you are then better equipped to have your relationship with Christ yourself. This is not the landing place. This is the jumping off place. This is so that you go home and you go, yeah, I need some more of that. Hopefully we make you thirsty. Hopefully we make you eager to go home and know more about him. Hopefully during praise and worship, we're engaged with him. And so as we look at this and we look at church as community, versus the other, that is how we come into maturity. What happens when you see church as corporation or church as classroom is you always give yourself a door out. There's no unity. There's no unity. There's no, there's no coming together. Think about it. When you're at a corporation, do you really feel unified and into that place or are you there until the next best offer comes along? When church is corporation, you can, have, you can have a pastor leave an entire congregation because another church offered him more money. It's a good career move if church is corporation. But if church is community and God has called this to be that pastor's flock, that pastor's people to shepherd, then there's not enough money somewhere else because this is my people. <laughs> These are the people that I'm called to care for. 
I get people who ask me all the time, how long are you going to be in Portland? As if I've got some timetable. And I, I try to explain, I didn't come here as a career move. I came here as a calling. And so when I stop hearing the call, then I'll start to think about whether or not it's time to go. And I still won't go until God opens a door. Because that's how I got here. God opened a door. And so I want us to start thinking about our lives here the same way. Are we here? Because God has called us here. And if he's called us here, then stop looking for the door out. Start looking for the door in. Into relationship and into caring, and into opportunities to serve, and to water your gifts, and to love others, and to be together in covenant community with one another. When we see church as classroom, and we just come in here to get information downloaded as opposed to relationship uploaded, then again, it's very difficult to be unified as a body when we're just learning information. And we're not in relationship with one another and in relationship with him. But when you get in relationship with somebody, you get attached to them, right? And that's what we're called to, is to be attached to one another. To be in love with one another. To be in love as a body with Christ. Now he contrasts this with what, it, what, he, what he says is um, that we'll no longer be infants that were tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind. So this is the picture of immaturity. He says we're no longer infants tossed back and forth. Now, what does he mean by this? Because I think it's just a really interesting comparison. He starts off with maturity and he talks about relationship and he talks about community and all these things. And then he says that we're no longer infants. Well, what do we know about infants? The world is about them. There's some baby around here right now going, that's right. <laughs> it's all about me. The world revolves around me. Infants seek pleasure. They avoid pain. They are self-focused. And they have no impulse control. None. They do what they want, when they want, how they want it. And they're helpless, but they don't know it. And so when we are infants in the faith as a body, it's important that we understand that when we are infants, we are easily manipulated. We are carried about. You have to carry babies about, right? Because they can't walk on their own. The funny thing about babies, and I think one of the most amazing things about babies, is that they think they run everybody. They think they run any and everybody. They're hungry, they cry. Diapers wet, they rot, they cry, and they scream and they yell. They think they're gracing you with a smile, and we're suckers, right? We stand there and we just go, oh, look, he just loves me so much. The kid is like, do you have food? Can you dry my diaper? Can you pick me up and move me from here to here because I want to look out that window? And so then they go, ah, and we're just like, oh, he just wants to be in my arms. And so what happens with us when we're a body is that because we are seeking pleasure and we're avoiding pain and we're self-focused, then that is what we begin to demand of our teachers and our pastors 
and our church is that it help us seek pleasure and avoid pain and be self-focused. And that is why when we are infants as a body, we become people with no impulse control. Somebody passes a law, we get screaming, yelling mad. Somebody wants to do something, you know, with the Supreme Court, and we scream and we yell and we're angry as a body of believers. And then we get characterized as being hypocritical or mean or ugly. And it all just boils down to the fact that we're behaving like babies. One thing I like about that passage is that we could be a church full of human beings who know the Bible, understand the Bible, can teach it to a bunch of different people, we're nice, we give, we do all of that stuff, but if we're not unified and we're not together, Paul still considers us immature. Because why? Because we're still, no matter how much we know, trying to figure out how to seek pleasure, avoid pain, self-focused. That's why you can find somebody who's very educated and somebody who's very knowledgeable in the word but isn't unified in a body looking for the door out because they don't necessarily feel like they're called to a particular place. If I know enough, then I can just leave. But that door out is always there. And Paul sees immaturity as living outside of unity. Living outside of that. And then what that does is that makes us susceptible. It makes us susceptible to every wind of doctrine. It makes us susceptible to following the people who simply agree with us. Because we don't have a community, a body of believers to check us when we need to be checked. To love us when we're lonely to reach out to us when we have a need, whether it's emotional or physical. And so when we call this congregation to a covenant community, it's not just a good idea. It is what it means to be mature. It's the next step to maturity, is us being together. But that verse 14 actually gives me a lot of comfort. Because what he says is, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. That phrase, then, when, when we are unified and when we are mature, we will no longer be infants, which means what? That's what we all are together. And that we're in process. It'd be easy to point fingers and say, well, you know, you should be this and you should be that and we should all be this. But no. What Paul says is that when we are unified and when we grow up into the stature, into the full measure of Christ, it's the picture of Christ already being perfect. And we're his body. And as we grow and as we love and as we care for one another, we grow up into the body. Have you ever seen a bobblehead? Yes. Thank you, Cody. It's like bobbleheads like really big and then the body of a bobblehead is really little, right? It's disproportionate. We don't want to be that. We want to be able to grow into the fullness of the head. That's the actual picture that we're looking at when we look at that passage is that we as a body are growing into the fullness of Christ who is the head. Jesus is not going to be a bobblehead in heaven. 
He's going to be something, somebody whose head and his body are proportionate to one another. And that's what unity and togetherness and love in the spirit does. And so what he says, and he gives us hope in here because he says that we're all in process. We, all of us together. He says we are infants. That we as a body are infants when we're not united, when we're not with each other, when we're not in community with one another. Then the body itself is as an infant, tossed back and forth. So we have to encourage this. We have to encourage unity in this place. And be willing to be with each other even when we mess up, even when we screw up. So then we look at verses 15 and 16. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, that we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, who is Christ. And from him the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's that work again. But that work is there to finish us as each part and each member does his or her work within the body. The body itself is built up. The goal is to build up the body. The the goal is not to get the work done. Because quite frankly, God could do the work way better without us. But the work of us growing gets done with him and with us together. So he says, speaking the truth in love, And what does that look like? (laughs) And the person who is actually going to help tell us just walked out the door. I think she went to the ladies' room. We're we're going to wait till she comes back, and we're all going to look at her about her timing. We're going to be like, really, Mindy? Did you just walk out the door? There's a part of me that wants to go, anybody got any questions? (laughs) I should do that. And then when Mindy, okay, anybody got any questions? Anybody? Seriously? No questions? Okay, so when Mindy gets back here, then I'm going to go, so, yeah, Mindy, we're just like doing a question and answer session. You know, so, no, this is, <laughs> this is my friend Mindy, and I want Mindy to come up and give you a picture of what it looks like to speak the truth in love and to be mature as a part of the body. Thanks, guys. Um... On the first Friday in December, I got hit by a drunk driver. Thankfully, I wasn't in the car. I was in a house, and I heard this crazy crash. I had taken some food to friends who had had a baby. And we came out, and the second I walked out the door, just something in me knew it was my car that had been hit. And um, I just had this instant feeling. I I felt like the Lord just was like, I'm going to use this for my glory. So... I won't go into all the gory details except to say um, the car was, his car was very badly hurt. Mine wasn't badly hurt, but it was a like, oh boy, call the insurance, all this stuff. We're going to have to go to court. Um, so I got everything kind of worked out with the insurance. And this is like, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. And it's a Thursday afternoon, like at 4 o'clock. And I'm thinking I'm kind of mostly done. I knew they said you might have to testify um, but they had they had gotten the guy, so I didn't really know what that meant. And I kept calling the courthouse, and I was like, what do I need to do? And they, were, they weren't really clear about it. Um, but they said I didn't need a lawyer, and if they needed me to come down, they would call me. 
So on a Thursday afternoon, I'm not kidding, at like 4 o'clock, maybe 4.45, a woman from the court calls and says, okay, tomorrow's the day, 10.15 on a Friday. Um, you can come down and make a statement. He's already pled guilty, and he's part of a first offender program. So you're not actually having to testify because thankfully no one was hurt. So it was just basically I had a chance to make a statement if I wanted to in the court. Um, and, I, you know, I work and I have a life, and so I was like, gosh, that, that's like real soon. Um, do I want to make a statement? I didn't have to. But I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I, I got a lot to say to this guy. So I'm like going through my head just feeling, trying to feel all the feelings, a lot of anger, a lot of rage. Um, I have a child, and he wasn't with me that night. But, you know, I'm just, my brain goes to, like, what would have happened? Boy, if things had been a lot worse, this could have just ruined my entire life. So I kind of, and it's 4, 4.45 now, and my son's home, and he's running around. It's a beautiful day. He's outside. And I'm starting to type on my computer, you guys, and I just, um, almost instantly I realized this is going in the wrong direction. This is this is not my chance to rail at this guy who clearly, uh, if he's going to be in a courtroom for a drunk driving, um, you know, incident, he he's he already knows he, he's feeling plenty of shame. It is not going to be my spot to pile shame upon this man. So I decided I'm going to write a poem. I'm not going to go to the courtroom. She said she would read whatever I sent, and so I thought I'm just going to. I'm just going to write a poem for him because I, I love poetry. And my poetry teacher this year really challenged me to think about speaking beauty to power. And so I thought, I'm going to write him a poem. I'll send it to her. So I, I write the poem. I sit down, literally wrote this in like 20 minutes, and read it to my son, Phoenix. He's nine. And just we were like, okay, this is good. This is the right thing to do. Send it to the lady. And I sent it to my poetry teacher that night, too, of just like, hey, his name's Kim. I said, Kim, I this I'm so excited. I'm speaking to Beauty Powder like you told me. And he kind of got mixed up on when this happened. And he writes back, and he said, oh, my gosh, you read that in court. That's amazing. What did the guy – how did the guy respond? How did the judge respond? And I was like, uh – and so I didn't reply back, but I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to go to court. I got to move my day around. So – I decided to go to court, um, and he had emailed maybe at 9, so I kind of just was like, okay, I'm going to court. So my son was at school. I drive down to the courthouse, and I had never been. I've been to, like, the courthouse for other things. I'd never been to this part of the courthouse. It is, y'all, let me tell you what, uh, drunk driving traffic court is, is a pretty depressing place. There were actually a bunch of um, people drawing there, like illustrators drawing, and I was like, what are they doing here? But it's because, like, the raw emotion in that room is so intense. Um, they wanted to capture it, apparently. So it's a bunch of people, men and women, who have all been convicted, and they're there having to basically negotiate with the court about their sentencing. So I got to just make a statement. This guy was going to have big trouble no matter what. I read this poem, and I just want to say this, because once I'm done, I'm just going to sit down. But he, um, the guy, and I changed his name. Um, so I was standing in front of the judge in the whole courtroom. So it's all these other people who have also been drunk driving. Um, he's standing up with his attorney, and for like half a second as I start to read, we make eye contact. And then, and I'm not kidding, he's a full-grown man. He's like 45. He literally crouched and hid behind his attorney so that he didn't have to look at me. I, I was reading the poem to him. So that's the image, and the judge is over here, and this whole room of people. This is what I wrote. To Richard Songren in the court, 
It is with great hope that I write this statement. I hope this is the last time you are so intoxicated at 6 p.m. on a Friday in January that you can hardly stand up on your feet. I hope this is the last time you drive a car or a bike or a Winnebago under the influence of drugs or alcohol. I hope this is the last time you run from the scene of a crime. I hope this is the last time you crash your car so hard that the wheels fall off. I hope this is the last time that you try to drive away from a crash after hitting two other cars with only three wheels remaining on your car two times in 20 minutes. I hope this is the last time you lie to the cops when they find you at the local mini-mart and you deny anything to do with the crash. I hope this is the last time you tell the cops that you walked 100 blocks on a cold winter's night just to get a pack of cigarettes. I hope this is the last time you see the inside of a courtroom or jail cell or public defender's office. I hope this is the last time. I hope this is the time you find peace. I hope this is the time you dig into pain from your childhood or past. I hope this is the time you start attending Alcoholics Anonymous and tell the truth to others in your life about your pain and need for community. I hope this is the time you wake up, Richard Songren. I hope this is the time you find friends who you can support you in sobriety. I hope this is the time you ask um, that you ask the wound, what wounds you're covering up with drugs and alcohol. I hope this is the time you write down your thoughts or make art or go hike in the woods. I hope this is the time you wake up, Richard Songren. I hope this is the time that you hear a voice that says, Richard, you are loved, you are worthy, you are enough. I hope this is the time that you take stock of your life and your decisions. I hope this is the time that you see beauty. I hope this is the time you can look at the pain in your world and figure out how to make something glorious out of it. I hope this is the time you can feel love in your heart and not need to hide. I hope this is the time you wake up, Richard Songren. I hope this is the time you look back 10 or 15 or 20 years from now and say, that was the turning point, the moment everything changed. I hope this is the time that your children and their children and their children say, can say that their dad and their grandpa Rod or grandpa Richard and great grandpa Richard made a huge change in his life. I hope this is the time you open yourself up to big love and to change and to being redeemed by God. I hope this is the time you wake up, Richard Songren. I hope this is the time you wake up. How is it possible that we go out into the world and be the kind of witness that can speak the truth to love and speak the truth in love and care for others and have grace for others. That can only happen in community. If we look at verse 16, and specifically I want to look at it in the New King James Version. If we look at verse 16 in this passage, it says, from whom the whole body, Christ, from whom, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love i used to look at this passage and i would always think that it is what each member provides or supplies but it doesn't say that does it it says what every joint supplies what is a joint in a body. It is that which connects one thing to another. 
And so it's the connections that supply. It's the connections with love and community and unity and care. It's the connections that make the difference in a congregation of people, in a body of believers. It's the connections. It's the different people in this community connected to one another by love. You've never seen a body that moves effectively without its joints. It can't. You have some people, you have Rick, who's in a lot of pain because he's got this thing going on with his bones where his joints in his back are fusing together and the joints are not effective anymore. And what happens? There's pain in the body when the joints are not effective. So the key is for us to be connected to one another. Maturity comes with connection and only through connection with our joints, with our diversity, with differences that would not exist with one another if it were not for the connections of love and for care. I want everybody to stand up. I've been debating about whether or not I was going to do this, but I want to do this. And I know everybody's like, oh, she's going to make me relate to somebody right now. I am. I absolutely am. I would like us, where we can, to hold hands with one another. And for those of you who are too uncomfortable to hold hands, I would like you to, at the very least, look at the person next to you and smile at them. Make eye contact and smile if you cannot hold hands. It's okay. <laughs> and now I want you to look around. And as our worship team comes up here, and as we consider that we're about to do communion and we look at this table, we always say that when we look at the Bible, at Genesis 1-1, the first thing we see is God creating, right? Let there be light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But the truth is, is that the first thing we find him doing happens before Genesis 1-1. And, and it is him, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in connected, in connected unity with one another, loving one another. So as we pray, I want us to consider that we're praying as a body, that we're here connected as a body, that the goal is that we would grow and give and care as a body, that when we come up to this table, that this is a table that represents the head who is always and also and already perfect, waiting for us to grow into him and to grow out from him. Let's pray. God, we stand here before you, your body, your people, working hard at loving one another, Lord, and praying and hoping that you would give us the strength of your spirit and the power to be able to do just that. Teach us how together to stand as a witness in the world, to be fruitful out in the world, to speak the truth in love in the world, to love and care for one another, the person whose hand we're holding, Lord God, our prayer right now is that you would bless them. That right now, Father, that my focus is on the person I'm touching and that that person would know you better. 
that as a body we come into the unity of the faith and a unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Father, we want to know you well and we want you to show us how to move, not just towards one another, but with one another and out into the world. As we come to this table, remind yourselves that our goal is as a body, as a covenant community of believers, to grow up into the head who is Christ. For those of you who need prayer, my prayer is that when you go to the doors and you connect with whoever is at the doors to pray with you, that you would remember that this is what the body looks like, us serving one another. Father, I ask that you would hold every pastor here accountable for pouring out and equipping your people. That we, Lord God, would not stand here expecting to be given to, but that we are expected to be poured out. And I thank you for the example of Paul, whose life was poured out as an offering. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, as we worship with you now and for you and to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.